Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. This episode is part two of our conversation with Arnaud Castel, founder of Kapok, a retail experience that focuses on designers and brands whose work provides quality craftsmanship and creativity in design. In this, the back half of our conversation, Arnaud discusses how Kapok works with brands in his store and talks about which brands are doing well by resonating with consumers in Asia. We also dive into whether or not it's important to have a brick and mortar presence in today's D2C environment. We also discuss some of the risks he's taken that have paid off, as well as the ones that haven't. We close out the conversation by looking to the future of commerce and retail in Asia. Enjoy. Japan is not like the rest of the world. And sometimes it's, it's very limiting because sometimes a good product is a good product. It's a universally good product, you know. Oh, and a good idea is a good idea. So you don't, sometimes you need to trust that if this brand made this bag that is so strong design, so nice, so good marketing, that is sold everywhere in the world, it will sell in Japan, you know, also. So, and maybe it's a way for some people to feel they can, you know, their job will be still valid because they need to, you know, put their personal touch. So we need to, we need to localize, but sometimes a good idea is a good idea, you know, and we need to also run with it in every country. We need to find the balance. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. I wanted to ask about tactics that you might lean on to help companies like the Michelin Guide or Moleskine uh, be successful. But it, it caused me pause just for a second because I mm. wanted to ask you how you work because maybe you wouldn't you wouldn't be in charge and you wouldn't be dictating that aspect of their business for them just because they're through your store. So I, I, I want to start by asking, how do you work with the brands that are in your stores and how do you promote your brand that has other brands? What are you allowed to do? What kind of capacity to take some creative control using them mm. do you have versus mm. having to actually just adopt or rely on their creative and what those brands are already doing? Yeah, I think it's difficult, different. When I was distributor for Moleskine, for Michelin Guide, where, or Daniel Wellington, we, that's the kind of, uh, I have, we have to uh, follow, but sometimes we also have to localize. That's a very interesting comment. How much do you localize your marketing? How much do you, uh, change, you know, and it's endless debates, you know, <laughs> I think, uh, um, because some brands are very, very, and 
you know, when a brand is inside Capog, we have to respect the brand, but they're also in our environment, you know? So for instance, when we do, um, like we have our Instagram account, do we use the marketing asset from the brand or we do we create ours? It's a, of course it's easier to use theirs, but, um, I think one thing, and, and now, you know, with social media, we can, the, the beauty of it is we can test, we can test different things and we can see what people react to. And, uh, I think it depends on the brand, you know, because, but we are not in the very luxury, luxury, very aspirational brand. We are in the more, a bit more down to earth, you know, so we need to localize because people need to feel, uh, this is not just like a, a very, a model coming from, you know, New York, only wearing the clothes in a certain way. They need to see, oh, this is someone that is like me, that looks like me, that has the same job as me, that, you know, uh, and, and same height as me in a way. And, and they wear the clothes in a cool way. So they have this, for our customer, it's important to relate, you know. And it's important to localize. You know, we cannot just have this kind of super high-end image that are coming from one part of the world. We need to have, you know, our customer feel, oh, I can really relate. So localization is important. And because we are multi-brand, I think, of course, we share our, our the brand can see. And 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 they, they always say, you're doing a good job. Your photos are nice. So for the brand, it's nice also to see the the products being worn by different people being, so you have the official voice of the brand, but we have a lot of different voice, you know, of the shop. So it's good to localize, but then sometime, you know, uh, especially when I was working in, in Japan, you know, you facing a wall, they say Japan is different. You know, it needs to be totally different. Japan is special. Japan is, uh, uh it's not like the rest of the world. And, uh, sometimes it's it's very limiting because sometimes a good product is a good product it's a universally good product you know <laughs> or a, a good idea is a good idea so you don't sometimes you need to trust that you know if this brand made this bag that is so strong design so nice so good marketing that is sold everywhere in the world it will sell in japan you know uh, also so <laughs> and maybe it's a way for some people to feel uh, they can, you know, their job will be still valid because they need to, you know, put their personal touch. So we need to, we need to localize, but sometimes a good idea is a good idea, you know, and, and, and we need to also run with it in every country, you know, it, it's really, a, a, we need to find the balance. <laughs> I always think. I could probably talk about this for days. Um, I have you. I'm sure you faced that for many, many times, right? It's so nuanced, and I think the dance that you do with being the distributor and this is who you are, and this is what you want, but this is why you should come with us, and this is what I can offer you beyond sales. I can elevate your status as a brand, uh, and I can get you associated with this, and and then that that kind of moving floor, like you said you can't go too far out of reach. I mean, if, if I'm coming in and I want to buy something and let's be honest, I want my colleagues to be just a little bit jealous of what I'm wearing. It has to be something that is understood and coveted, not too far beyond. But it's still, it's still you. It cannot be someone. Yeah. You cannot come and then be like, what, what, what happened? You know, it's not you anymore. 
yeah. need to be you, but like a little bit better you, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, it's a big, all shiny with a big hat, fur. Yeah, you know, no, like, all of a sudden, work. it's well, yeah, they're, they're not going to be jealous. Uh, uh, that's for mm. sure. They're just going to be yeah. kind of weirded Laughing, out. you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, which is not what they want. So, yeah, and, it, yeah, and, that's, and that's always moving, right? And mm. again, I could talk to you so much about how you stay on top of where that perfect spot is with your mm. customers because you're always wanting the certain customers um but you've also have legacy promises that you've made to you know current agreements that yeah. are in place with other brands that you need to keep that market as well but i think that tension is it makes makes the job very fun you know it's yeah. kind of like dancing and finding okay that's the right spot you know like we are pushing forwards but we're not losing people like you know mm-hmm. it, it's always you very interesting What's a risk that you took in the market that you're in that didn't work? Do you have oh, that you didn't remember? work? That didn't work. Something that went <laughs> something so that went bad. That, something that went so wrong. Many stories that that things that 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 worked. Uh, well, maybe you just it. have the they golden are. touch. Everything you do works no, no, all no, the time. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think uh, you know. For us, uh, what didn't work so well. I, uh, when I was working with a mono brand, you know, I, I was able to, um, uh, to do very, very well in, um, uh, in like with Moleski and Lomography, I was able to, to build this brand in many different, uh, countries, you know, and, and expand outside of Hong Kong. When I tried to bring Kapok outside of Hong Kong, you know, in Singapore, or in um, in Taiwan, it didn't work out, you know. And uh, and and then I, because uh, retail, multi-brand retail is very very in the detail. You know, you receive new products, so you need the the, the, the training. And then, oh, like I think, um, of course, when you talk about Asia, you know, you always talk about Asia. People see Asia, but it's even more different, I think, the countries in Asia than in Europe or, or America, you know, because the size of the country, the, the economic development of the country, the, the taste, the attitude is, is very different. And even place that looks very similar, like Hong Kong and Singapore, for me as a retailer, it was very, very different, you know. And um, in, in Singapore, I think uh, for fashion business first, the, the climate is like people are wearing only t-shirts and flip-flops. So we make money selling, you know, coats and jackets. So it's not working. And um, there were less, it's a uh, less appetite for newness that we have in Hong Kong. So when we were bringing all these new brands, it was like, uh, they were a little bit more safe in the choice, you know? And uh, so it was difficult. And then running everything, uh, because when you are mono brand, you have like the brand guide, you have the guideline. It's like, oh, it has to be done like that. But for us, multi brand, it's very freestyle. So how do you translate that in many, many countries, you know? And, and Taiwan, it was a matter of, I mean, running a shop was really quite cheap, you know, the, the, the salary, the rent are cheap, but, um, like you don't have, you have a lot of people that are really very, uh, comfortable, wealthy, but the kind of this kind of comfortable middle class that we have in Hong Kong that you know can spend well uh, is not there yet in, in Taiwan. You have the, the starting position salary are lower, so our products were a little bit too expensive for the market. So 
I think that maybe uh, uh, realize, um, yeah, it's so detailed and it's so hands-on as a business that it's better that I refocus on Hong Kong. But it's not totally stupid to go there because now this market, because the name of Kapok was there, people have seen it, some people, and you know, like uh, sometimes you like something, you realize you like something only when you don't have it anymore, you know? So when you close, when we close Kapok in Singapore, people were like, oh, we're so sad. Why it's closed? I love the shop. And I was thinking, if you love it so much, you should have shopped there. Where were you before. with me? Where were you, you know, with your where dollars? Where were you when we needed you? Yeah. But, but then now we come in and then we, ta- we, when we target this market uh, with our online business, people know and, and Singapore is our number two online business. So it's not totally useless, but I, I think for my kind of uh, business, it's, it was, kind of difficult to do a lot of market at the same time. So now our focus is in Hong Kong, Hong Kong and, um, and web, you know, so the, the two pillar and, and the long game, I think is, is we will ask at some point because we will start uh, discussing China because a lot of people like shopping malls, partner are talking to us about China, but I, I'm not in a, in a rush, especially now when some of the, COVID related situation to, to come down. But, but I think especially, uh, you know, you were in, you're talking about Shenzhen and, and Guangzhou, uh, all these places. It's easy to, to manage at some point. It will be easy to manage from here. And, and, and I think the markets are ready for what we have to propose. But yeah. Yeah. Step, step yeah. by step. I wanted to ask you that mm. about, you know, as a kind of a wrap up final question about Kapok. It's like, mm. you know, what what plans for the future? And, you know, I think, you know, now that that Hong Kong is is back a part of of China, obviously that, that you know, bringing the two together got severely interrupted with with COVID and, and, and things mm-hmm. and that, you know, so it, it just hasn't gone as quickly or as seamlessly as, as possible. But I, I think that to me, that would be the the natural next mm. step. Plus now you already have the learnings from Taiwan mm. and Singapore. Um, mm. But, you know, you kind of answered that already and that that is something that's on the roadmap, but you're not in a rush. And there's still a lot of other macro environmental things that mm. need to kind of get figured out before yes. it's reasonably a good idea to even start, mm. you know, putting resources towards it. So, okay. So we'll move on from that. And if we don't move on from things, we are never going to get this finished. We're going to be here all day. So I want to I'm very talkative. So, Oh, me too. Um, And it's just so interesting. I just pick your brain forever. You were the managing director of Lomography Asia Pacific in the early two mm. thousands, so now we're going pre Kapok, yes. um, and okay. you oversaw the the whole operation in that region. So, mm. first of all, can you share some stories about what that experience was like? Because I mean, I went to Asia for the first time in two thousand seven. I couldn't even imagine in the early two thousands how wild wild west or wild wild east, as we mm. say, it might have been. So, yeah, yeah what were, what was the experience like uh, with uh, being the MD of uh, Lomography Asia Pacific? It's it's uh, yeah, it's a business that that is really really fun. They are uh, promoting a, a new way to, uh, at, at the time, it's it's uh, it's about analog camera, you know, so a new way to take pictures. So they are, uh, one of the key products, the Lomo camera was a Russian-made uh, camera that has a lot of uh, 
in a way, technical flaws, but were taking really quite amazing picture, very saturated. And then they developed a lot of uh, analog camera that were really uh, interesting. And their whole business was based on, around uh, community. So creating a, a community of people that use this camera. They had uh, even online a system when people could upload the camera. So it's called Lomo Home. It's a kind of, I always think it's an ancestor of uh, Instagram in a way. They were really... Uh, and and the whole strategy was very interesting. They say um, we are selling camera and and fun camera, and but we don't sell in camera store because camera store are boring. We sell in in lifestyle store. We sell in in cool bookstore and, and so on. And then we all do the marketing, creating a, a community. So I, for me, I was um, I worked a few day, few years in banking, but that was the first time going. I always interested in, in customer, you know, so I was going to end up there anyway. So it was really a good experience because as you say, it was really, yeah, at that time really wild, uh, because we, we were just, uh, so I had, uh, I was doing this business with a very good friend, Carlos, who was based in, in, uh, Tokyo and I was based in Hong Kong and we cover all of Asia two together. And we had to do everything from scratch, you know, finding the customer, finding the warehouse, doing the, 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 the communication. We set up a system where um, in every country where this Lomo ambassador, there were people in creative industry that benefited to be associated to the, with the brand for developing the creative business, but helping us in every market. I loved it because it was uh, a very completely alternative way to do business. And I found... Uh, you know, I always say if I were staying in, in, in France, I, my career would have been much more conventional, I think. Because, you know, I went to business school. I would have gone to a bigger company and, like, do a regular job. And I, some people, they were like, oh, I wanted to be entrepreneur all my life and so on. Not really for me. You know, of course, I always like shops. So I always thinking I want to have a candy shop or a bookstore or music shop. But I... I was not this natural born entrepreneur, but you're right here and everyone is doing it. And if you say, if you want to do it, there's no, the paperwork is minimal. You can open a company for, you know, 1000 US dollar. And it's, so you feel like, mm, I want to do it too. And of course, when you start doing it and you're like, oh, I can master my own, you know, progress and I don't have a boss and so on. You're like, that's, that's nice. So I would never have opened Kapok and done all these more entrepreneurs if it's not in Hong Kong because it's people. It's a place where people take a lot of risk, you know. So, uh, so like Lomography was the same, you know. Like they, they, the company was not too big, based in Vienna, in Austria. They took a chance on these two French guys that start everything from scratch. And I think we had a lot of good ideas. We were very energetic and. Asia is a culture where people like to take picture, you know, even before it's like a lot of people take social picture. And I mean, now everyone in the world take a lot of picture all the time, but at that time it was more, much more an Asian thing when people take picture, picture of groups and, you know, tourists. So these people have culture of taking a lot of picture, uh, processing the film was much cheaper than U S and Europe. So, and, um, all this, made it that within a few, I think one or two years, the Asia business was 60% of, of the world business. And I think for a lot of company, 
yeah, it can happen like that. You know, if they take a chance on 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 Asia, they they will be able to to make it grow very very fast. But that was yeah, that was very <laughs> fun and wild. But but uh, it was growing quite 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 well. It was a very fun experience. You know, like now looking back, of course, you know we are bigger. We still do things in a fun way, but we are also quite organized, you know, and we need to have the both way. When I look at the way we were doing business, I was like, wow, that was quite interesting. <laughs> well, isn't the whole region just more organized now? I mean, I thought that it was a, you know, there'd be side deals and backroom deals and, 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 you know, this and that. And it just, it not, not in all the nefarious sense of things either, but it was just, you know, it was handshake deals, you know, it was, Mm. Um, yeah, yeah there's a lot of not, gouache you played. Now it's more organized. I, I think so. I think I think uh, we don't because I, I think the the economy is bigger. The the it's more integrated with the rest of the world. So and, and I think people got burnt also uh, sometime with these handshake deals when someone did you know something not a bit shady and then they're like oh and then. This guy, they're smart, you know, every, every, everyone is, is a lot of businessmen are super smart here. And they thought, okay, and check is nice, but, uh, you know, let's protect ourselves a little bit. So of yeah. course I think it's a bit, you, you, you can do things a bit more uh, informal than, than in other country. But I, I think now, you know, you, you also have all these contractual things, uh, behind. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, let's, let's lean in on that for a second. Just talk about kind of business principles. Going back to you know those early two thousands and when you were there the 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 Lomography kind of experience, what are mm. the business principles that you learned then that you're still applying today because they still work and they're still relevant? And then what is a business business principle or two that you leaned on back then to do the job that you were doing that you no longer need in today's environment? Wow, that's. I know I big questions. One, one big question. <laughs> yeah, uh, one thing that I learned then is, is especially you know, I uh, always uh, I grew my company, but it was never a huge company. You know, compare even now, Capoc. You know, it's it's growing, it's getting better, but we are not. They are really big, big players, like you know, billion dollar company in the same mm -hmm. field. So, first is. Yeah, the very simple one is don't try to play the same game, you know, uh, or you will never succeed, you know. Really try to be contrarian and, and go against what people say you should do like this, you know, and and uh, and and that that's important. So, you know, like uh, when people talk about retail, say, oh, location is a more location, location is more important. But if I follow this, I would have put my first stores in place where the rent would be crazy. And then I will have so much pressure. I cannot have any freedom and direction to build my brand. So you can be a little bit slower, you know, and like do something more organic. So you choose the first location a bit out of the way, but you build your marketing and people will come to you. And then in the phase two, you, the big guys say, Hey, you come to my place, to my area. And you say, yes, I want to, but you know, if you want me, I cannot pay your normal deal. You need to give me a better deal, but, I'm better than the other shops. So, you know, good for you, good for me. But it's, you need to still at the beginning do a bit the opposite of the common practice, you know? And I think when you enter a new field, now I enter online and I'm, 
you know, I'm not going to be able to frontally compete with Farfetch, with, with Net, NetApporte. So I need to do things in a different, different way. I need to go. If people, t- if 50 people tell me you have to do this way, I have to find the 51 way that is still smart, but otherwise I will never, they are, they have hundreds of people. They have very smart people. Yeah. So you need to take the risk and do something differently when you're small, or I think you're never going to make it. So I learned that from, from Lomography, but I still do this now. Yeah. So that's the one I still do. Things I don't do is, is, um, yeah, it goes to the way of, of, of the organization and, and the system, you know, I think, uh, you need to have, uh, a kind of ruler of how much do I run, uh, based on, on, on system on prediction on forecast on Excel and how much I run on feeling, you know, and you, when you're growing, it's too dangerous to run too much on, on feeling, you know, yeah, you, you, this data at the end, we are, uh, a customer business and the customer, because of their choice, because of what they buy, because we need to listen to them, you know? So I think you need to move when you're growing the business. You cannot lose your feeling because it's the personality of the shop. You know, if the shop gives hundred percent of what the people want, it's boring, but, but you need to still go back to the data and the system a bit more, you know, you cannot just, it's very, uh, irrational to say, I will grow my business 10 times, hundred times, just trust my, my feeling like you need to bring the people that, that really know about, and it's very fun for me to have new set of people that join the company. They're very data systems driven and, and mix the, them with people that are like more kind of intuition and, and you need both these people. And sometimes it's super hard to make them work together, but I think that's the key, you know, and, and I think you cannot just run fully on, on feelings anymore. <laughs> that's right. I, I could get, deep into that as well. But I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, in the, especially in the beginning, you're running off gut, you're running off feel because you don't really maybe have um, a lot of data and maybe you don't have a lot of clean data. And um, and then it's hard to kind of analyze and strategize. And then of course, execute on, on the data. So you really are kind of, but then that's, you know, that's what it makes a thing. And then it's hard, it's hard to give up that gut feel because it, you know, it was you, it was your taste. It was, your, oh, you your, don't, you don't, you don't give up. You just, uh, you always will bring something where like, this is a new brand, not tested. And, but I, I have this feeling will work. And then, you know, you need to convince <laughs> now I don't decide just by myself. I still run this ID to, because I want to be challenged, you know, like they say, you know, but sometimes it's like, you say, okay, this one, you trust me and we, we bring it on and it will work. And because I know I, 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 I still have a good strike rate. So they still, <laughs> I can still do that, you know, but as the founder of a company, you still have yeah. to do that because yeah. that's that that the day when the day comes that you're not taking those risks and being okay. Mm. Oh, failed experiment. Fine. Not a big deal. Mm. When failure becomes too big to be able mm. to take the risk, that's almost when you know you might want to re- almost replace yourself as the leader of the company, you know? And and that day comes for all of us. Time to retire. I mean, we should be so we should be so lucky to build a company that that lasts so long that that day actually comes. Yeah. I mean, when I started Capoc, I didn't have this idea. 
I mean, now, uh, of course, we're still young. It's 15, 16 years. But yeah, of course, I, that would be great if one day I'm like, okay, I'm on the beach somewhere and the company is still running fine without me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me ask you, try to try to wrap this up um, uh, for, for both you and our listeners, although I'm sure they're like me and want more and more and more. Uh, are there are there a few brands in the fashion lifestyle space in that area of the world that are doing particularly interesting work today that you could say, yeah, these brands, but then also why they're particularly interesting or their work is particularly kind of cool on a brand or a content or a growth, however they're doing it. Yeah, you're a bit of an expert now, so I'm going to ask you. So there's. Yeah, yeah, there's this brand called Maison Kitsune. So it's a fashion brand and they are living, um, it's a Tokyo and Paris brand. So they have, you know, both, uh, and, and they really both, and they started, uh, they were more like a music company. They move into fashion. They move into now doing cafe and they really can create, uh, like this really, and most of their customers are, are in, in Asia. So like Korea, um, uh, Japan are the big, big market, you know, and even their shops in Europe, it's mainly customer from, from Asia. And they are really kind of finding something that is cute, that is cool. And, and it's always, they always very strong at, at getting this reaction from the, from, they understand the, the customer in, in Asia and they're really, building something that, you know, like a lot of brands now, they say we want to be a lifestyle brand, not just a fashion brand, you know, but for them, because they started with music, moved to fashion, do food, they really have this aspirational lifestyle that people react to. So you don't really buy a product. You just want to have that life. You know, you want to listen to that music. You want to just have a coffee, coffee there and they do it very, very well. And I think this is, this full lifestyle brand that are not just a product, but they really create this full lifestyle where people say, I want to live that life. Uh, they are the future of, of brands, you know, and they are doing well. And then I think um, they understand the, the, the customer in Asia super well. So I, I really, uh, and because it's so difficult to be an independent brand in the fashion world now, you know, when you have this, giant monster but they managed to carve a niche for what they do so i, I really yeah i really like you it. know i i feel like i discovered this one brand back in 2015 i was in san diego walking through a place and i walked into mm -hmm. this place it looked like they had golf clothes and, okay. and it was travis matthews and i walked in and mm. the, so i said hey sir welcome to travis matthews can i get you a beer and i said <laughs> Like, that was completely mm. shocking. Like a, a licensed retail, you know, mm. at clothing mm. outlet. Uh, and then he said, well, they have these craft beers and this because it was just kind of that, that also was just getting out of the rise or whatever. And he gave you mm -hmm. cold beers, like enjoy, just don't leave the store and uh, let me know if you need any help. And I thought, I love this mm. store. <laughs> this is amazing. Mm. Um, yes. I, I'd never had that happen. Yeah. And their clothes were unique. It wasn't like it was mm. at the time, it was mm -hmm. not stuff anybody else was wearing. Of course, I was, you know, going back to Asia. So mm -hmm. uh, it was, it was really cool for that. So, um, okay. Moving on, let's spend the last part of the discussion, and I've been kind of waiting to get to this, about the future of commerce and retail in Asia. So do you foresee more and more of your customers shifting from brick and mortar to digital commerce? I know that we've touched a bit on this, so I don't really have to go too long, mm. but 
Um, so more of your customers shifting from brick and mortar to digital. Yeah. I, I mean, for us, you know, we've seen like before protests and COVID, our online was only 5% of our sales. Nice between 25 to 30, and I think it will go to 50. Uh, I, I, um, but I think is I will never go online only because I, I think we will lose a lot of this connection with the, with with the with the customer. I think um, uh, here it will be a bit difficult. I mean, there's some markets like Korea where the online and China where online is, is taking a big uh, part. I think for. It depends where you live, you know, but when you live in a big city where everything is convenient, you can still sometimes shop uh, offline. And, and as I said, you know, we will still have a lot of free, um, we will still have a lot of free time, you know, and we will still, when people, I think when people during all the lockdowns where uh, before they were like, oh, shopping is annoying. Going to restaurants is annoying, but when you every everyone almost in the world has the same experience that they're locked down for days and weeks, and they're like, actually, I need to go out. I need to see people. I need to talk to someone. I need to just grab the coffee. I need to sit down at a restaurant. I need to talk to a salesperson in a shop. It's it's a human need, you know. This connection exists, you know, and and people discovered. Oh, I thought my life would be better when everything I shop is online and go to my door. But no, it's boring. And I just, I'm a human. I'm social, social anymore. I need that. So we, we will, it will grow online because it's, it's, it's convenient. It's faster. It's access to anything in the world. Of course, it will be there. But what if all the restaurants and the shops close? You know, what are people going to do? No, you have to have it. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, it's nice to go in nature and, and at some point here in Hong Kong, everything was closed. The only thing we can do is hike. I love hiking, but when you've done hiking every weekend for three months, you're like, okay, <laughs> I want to shop. I want to go. So it's not going to go away. We, we need that connection. Do you, so you, you, you sit quite adeptly at the intersection of commerce and creativity. Okay. Mm. Where yes. do you see that? junction point moving over the next few years how, how is that intersection gonna gonna change there's just so much product and content being pumped at people all the time that this saturation will be so that the, the one that can you know when you receive when you open when you receive so many newsletter and content and product 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 I think if your product is not a little bit extraordinary, a little bit surprising, a little bit shaking you like, ah, I've not seen that before. They are the one that can survive. Otherwise it's a ocean of content, you know, that is similar. So I, for me, I'm very optimistic because yeah, we move into this where everything was very commerce driven, but I, I think the survival is, is through creativity. So I'm, I finally optimistic, you know, uh, that, that, because also be, before some companies, um, they, they, they manage to work very well because they're super smart because they know how to do digital media very well, you know, and it's not about 
their their branding it's not about their product it's about they know the game they know how to play the game they know how to you know get it's a very technical game but they play the game but now you have more and more people more and more students more and more staff that come and they say oh this digital only people i can play their game and i can teach you so then this set of skills are going to be distributed to everyone and you cannot differentiate yourself anymore by how well you play the digital marketing game so it's going to go back to how good is your product how happy it makes your customer and how strong is your brand story so i i believe this wave of data commerce is there and everyone will play with these tools but the one that i'm going to make it up now are the one that are more creative i don't know i don't know if it's i i i think that really but i also want to think that because it's it's a better story yeah right? <laughs> yeah i understand like yeah uh, you you worry about like emma yeah am i only prophesizing <laughs> the the future that i want versus what i actually think will yeah <laughs> no no but i i really believe in it i i i think i make sense yeah yeah I yeah, yeah you do okay well thank thank you very very much and as uh we do i wanted to ask you for you know maybe one or two recommendations of guests that you think would be uh really good guests on the show that our audience would like to hear from yeah i uh First uh, is uh, someone called Igor, Igor Duc. He, he, he built a, a brand called Native Union uh, that is based here in Hong Kong, that is building um, like tech accessories, like uh, for your phone, cable, case, and so on. And that are really also bringing fashion element to the tech world. And, and he is selling worldwide now, but really started the company here in Hong Kong. So I think he's a very interesting guy. And sorry, it's another French guy called, uh, it's a good friend of mine called, uh, we don't want to invade uh, with too many French, but it's called Florent Grégoire. Huh? He was the, when uh, Louis Vuitton built, uh, you know, so many stores all around China, he, uh, he was the one driving all the HR to find all the staff that are going to work in all these stores at all levels from, you know, manager level to, and he's been living in China. Now he's back to France, but he's been in China and Hong Kong all his career. And I think he has really amazing insight about, you know, like, because when you want to build a business in, in, in Asia, you need to find the right people. And that's super challenging, you know, to, to find the, so how to attract talent, how to understand talent and how to understand how to work with people in, in this environment. So, he is fascinating. He has a lot of stories. So I, I, I think... Especially for that brand. Yeah, especially for that brand. That is hugely successful, you know, building a business in uh, in China. So interesting guy. Arnaud Castel, the founder and CEO of Kapok. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. And uh, I hope that... Uh, yes, I had a great time. Hopefully we get to have you back again some point in the future. Okay, tell more stories. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thanks very much. Uh, for everybody who is watching this video on wherever you stream your your videos uh, and been watching Arnaud and myself, uh, don't forget we have the audio version only uh, in the podcast form over at Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can go and listen to us there while you use your hands and eyes, potentially for other things like driving or cooking. But if you're not and you're listening to us out on audio only and you want to see Arno and myself and the discussion we had, uh, you can also go to the WPIC YouTube channel and watch us over there. But 
Then for now, uh, I will say adieu or bid you adieu as I Au revoir, adieu. <laughs> Au revoir, adieu, and goodbye. Thank you very much for, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.